Hey listeners, I'm Pastor Brian Dwyer, and you're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast on a Tuesday. Pastor Ross Anderson joins me for today's topic. And remember, you can find resources to have this conversation with your family, small group, or mentor. Find it all at PursueGod.org. Okay, Ross, I think the best way to start today's topic is with a quote from Rihanna, because it so articulates the culture that we live in today that so many people, even Christians, have bought into. Here's what she said. I always believe that when you follow your heart or your gut, when you really follow the things that feel great to you, you can never lose. Okay, so that's the wisdom from today's world. But what we're going to look at today is what the Bible says about that. We're going to talk about today, should you follow your heart? Like, is that a thing? You know, the the culture says to follow your heart. What does the Bible say about it? Yeah, so here's the underlying assumption of that approach is that that somehow the heart, as we understand, like this, this part of our being is trustworthy, and it's a trustworthy source of of direction and guidance. And, and, you know, there's a Christian version of this that gets kind of baptized with Christianese. And the idea is that we often say like, oh, just pray about it and say, oh, okay, well, that's going to mean that I'm going to get the, the, the right, you know, direction and so forth. But that's simply a way of saying that you, you, can, you can just follow what you want, what you desire, as long as you, you know, kind of cast it in, a, in terms of prayer. Uh, but in the end, it just means do what you what feels right to you, you know. And so it's very popular in, in our culture today because it gives people uh, a sense of freedom. It gives them a justification for do whatever they want to do. But long term, it can really lead to some danger, and and it really is um, really kind of a foolish way to approach life because our hearts, you know, many people can testify had their followed their heart, and their heart was wrong. Yeah, just yesterday I was talking with a couple who got a divorce years ago. The wife cheated on the husband because she wanted to, because she <laughs> wanted something different. I mean, honestly, like there, I don't know that she has any other reason. She wanted to be happy, and she, for whatever reason, she wasn't happy with her husband. They had, they have kids together. They're trying to raise a family together, trying to be Christians. Here's the thing is, and I even just said this to her as lovingly as I could. I, I said, the thing that's confusing to your husband and to your, or your ex-husband and to your kids is that you, you're doing all this stuff, but you're still going to church. You're doing all this stuff and you still want to raise godly kids. You, you want to raise kids who, who make the right choices. And honestly, Ross, she was, I could tell that there was this battle going on in her that she, I think she'd bought into this idea that our culture feeds us that says, well, you can, you can follow Jesus and you can also follow your heart. Mm. You, can, you can be a Christian, but you can also do pretty much whatever you want to do because of grace, because God's there. And so there's this idea, I think there's this idea out there for, for Christians, really for the whole world, but for, for Christians in particular, that says, God wants me to be happy. And if I'm not happy, then I, then I need to follow my heart some more because God certainly doesn't want me to give anything up. God certainly right. doesn't want me to have to work through a difficult marriage or whatever else. Again, it's not just about marriages. I even think about this with the LGBT conversation. So many people are fighting for their rights to be who they are 
again, that's another example of following your heart. So, but let's see what God's word, again, let's see what God's word says. And, and what God's word says is that your heart can't be trusted. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Ross, help us to understand what that means. Yeah, well, it certainly is a stark uh, statement. But when we think about the heart, follow your heart, and the way that that Rihanna has said that, or a lot of times we're thinking about emotions, about dreams, the dreams we have for our life, intuitions we have about about what to do next, or even the things we just emotionally want. But in the Bible, the heart is more than that. It's the whole inner self. It's the whole part of our being that drives our choices, our attitudes. It includes not just what you feel, but also how you think and what you reflect on and what you value and your inclinations, your will, what you desire, what you choose. It's basically the whole inner you. And so it, we would say maybe today, mind, will, and emotions. It's a, it's a control center of your being. And, and so really when we're when you say when we're talking about the heart, we're talking about not just the feelings, but the whole concept, the, the ideas we have about truth and reality. And and this woman that you talked to, you know, she's got some idea about truth and reality that um, that comes out of her heart. That's her her view, her perspective on on the nature of of life. And so, you know, it says that the heart, all of this, all of this inner part of me is deceitful. It's it's wicked and. You know, if we if we're left to ourselves, then then that's we're we're just going to be messed up. It's it's this inner mechanism for making decisions and setting direction in life is not trustworthy, and it says it uh, pretty clearly there. Yeah, Jesus himself he said in in Mark chapter seven verse twenty, he said it's what comes from inside that defiles you. Man, that's offensive to today's culture. It's probably offensive to every culture, mm-hmm. but today, today's culture says you're good. You're basically good. Your heart is basically trustworthy. No, Jesus said that your heart is defiled. He says, for from mm-hmm. within, out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. It's a pretty radical statement that Jesus was making. He's saying that wickedness isn't just out there. I think so many of us say wickedness is out mm-hmm. there in the world, and we need to protect ourselves from right. wickedness out there. But Jesus said, no, no, wickedness is in there. It's inside each of you. That's a radical thought to this starting place to say, I shouldn't, I shouldn't follow my heart. I should question my heart. I shouldn't blindly just do what feels right. I should question whether it is right. And really, that's what we're talking about today. Yeah, exactly. And so, again, this is contrary to our culture's view of human nature. You know, everybody is going to be basically a good person, except for the the occasional outlier who is extreme out there, you know, the serial killer or whatever. But that's just not realistic. And when we stop and really look in the mirror, or we all have those those moments those unguarded moments, maybe when the lights are out and we're alone with ourselves. We realize, oh yeah, you know, there's something that just doesn't add up. The fact that so many people are guarding and, and opposing, in a sense, people are throwing out an image that other people they want other people to see. That that's a suggestion that there's something that is wrong within every one of us that we're not happy with people knowing who we really really are. 
And so that this all points to what the Bible says. You know, here's another verse in Ecclesiastes 9 that makes it really hard to, to deal with this. It says, The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And so, man, full of evil and, and just this insanity, and that, that's a striking statement. Yeah, Paul said it like this in Romans 3. He said, No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. So it's such a stark contrast to what our culture says. And again, if if you're a Christian listening to this today, I, I think you need to acknowledge that you have been shaped by your culture. Even if you read God's Word, even if you go to church every week, that's great. But don't miss this, that you are still being shaped by this culture. And this culture says that you are basically good. The Bible says that you are basically bad. And so what the Bible teaches is that we're all broken, that there's, there's, there's a real problem, there's a darkness inside of us that we're defiled from within. And so therefore, the Bible teaches that we need a new heart. So Ross, let's talk about this because again, so we know that we know the problem now is our hearts are broken. The good news is that God doesn't leave us there, that the Bible has a solution to this. This is what Jesus this is really the key message of the Bible is that Jesus came to change things for us. Jesus came to set us free. And really, one of the ways that scripture articul- articulates this is again using this word heart is the Bible teaches that we can have a new heart. What does that mean theologically? You know, this is one of the things that people misunderstand about the nature of Christianity, that people look at Christianity and say it's just a, it's a way to be a better person, it's a way to kind of fulfill your civil duties and your responsibility to other people. But no, it's really completely, a, it's a makeover. It's a complete different, I, I have to recognize that I am deeply in need and that only God can do what I need him to do. And so the inner, the inner me, the inner being, this Christianity doesn't just deal with the outer expression of things, because you know then you could have a bunch of people who are trying to do good, but their hearts or their motives, their inclinations are, are out of step. But this is a total makeover. And so in 2 Corinthians 5, the Bible says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And so it's really all about becoming completely new throughout. And, and we're made new, and then the fact is we're given a new identity, we're given a new resources, we're given a new heart, and then we learn to grow into that. And we learn to grow out of, you know, from the culture and its influences that are still around, then we learn how to be the people that God really made us to be. Yeah, the prophet Ezekiel said it like this. This is in the Old Testament. This was looking forward to this day that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5.17 because of Jesus. Ezekiel, God said through Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Ross, that's one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament because it puts into, into words really what happens from the inside out is that we by nature have this stubborn heart and and so many people who call themselves christians don't model a tender responsive heart and that would make me really nervous if i were in their shoes 
Because Jesus says, many will say in that day, Lord, but Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your in your name? And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. So there, you know, like we we learned earlier, the heart dis- is deceptive. You will be deceived by your heart. Christians, I want you to hear this. If if you don't have a tender, responsive heart to God, if what you have really is a stony, stubborn heart, somebody calls out real obvious sin in your life, you, you're cheating on, on your husband, your wife, whatever, you're, you're, you're demanding your rights in, in terms of sexuality or, or, or dr- drug addiction or an attitude issue that you have or and this persistent anger that you have, if, if your response, if your heart's response toward God is stubborn, and stony, let me read this passage again. Here's what Ezekiel said. I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. So Ross, one of the words for that is just, you know, we, in the New Testament, the word is repentance, that you have a repentant attitude toward God. And I think there are so many quote unquote Christians who don't really have a repentant attitude toward God. And the question that I would have for them is, have they really come to Jesus? Am I being too judgmental, Ross? I don't know. Maybe you need to soften that for our listeners. Well, it's a fair it's a fair question. But here's how I usually frame it is like, okay, I can really only ask that question for myself. I have to look in my own heart. Now I can encourage other people to do it. I can't make a judgment about another person because I don't have God's insight and wisdom and and I don't know where they're coming from. Maybe they're Maybe they're 50% on their journey towards sanctification, but, but compared to somebody else, it only looks like they're 10%. So I don't know the timing. And so I'm not going to take that on for others, but I'm going to tell others to take it on for themselves, you know, to take a look at, at the, what God's doing in their life and see if it's for real. Yeah, even this woman that I was talking to yesterday, I, I just really asked her, I said, is... is how would you describe your relationship with God? Because it's confusing to your kids. How would you describe your relationship with God? I think her answer was interesting. She said, I'm still in process of that. I'm still on a journey. Now, I appreciated that. That I appreciated that she didn't just outright say, oh, I'm a Christian, and Jesus loves me, and I can do whatever I want because I'm saved by grace, which I've heard before from people. I feel like her answer was more honest, at least, that she said, I'm still kind of on a journey. I was listening to a podcast the other day with a guy who's, who's transgender. You know, the, the interviewer said, Are you, where, how would you describe your relationship with God? And he, said, he used those same words, I'm on a journey. I'm not really sure. Because again, I, I think, Russ, there's an element of people when, people, when someone says to me, God wants you to live this certain way, and I don't want to live that way, it's going to cause a crisis of faith for me. I have to decide if I'm going to have a tender responsiveness to to God's word, or if I'm going to be stubborn and stony-hearted. So I appreciate at least in these two examples that both of these people who were, both of these people were raised Christian, both of these people were saying, I'm not really sure. But my fear, Ross, is that they're going to wind up at a church, and there are a lot of Christian churches, quote-unquote Christian churches, that basically say, God will accept you just how you are. You don't, you don't need to submit to his way to be a follower of Jesus. And I think that's where really it gets dangerous. That's what we're talking about here is because there are plenty of people out there who speak for God who say that you can follow your heart, and this is why we're bringing the topic up. Yeah, and I, I would, I, you know, on the journey thing, 
Um, I appreciate that where those people are at and that they haven't solved anything. But sometimes that journey type language, I'm just on a journey, that becomes an excuse for not getting to a destination. Mm. You know, that to to avoid the obvious implications of your of your answer. So you stay in the quote journey because you don't want to land somewhere. You don't, you don't like where you might land. Well, yeah, and here's the thing: you'll get to a destination. Every that's the that's the scary thing. Everyone is going to get to a destination. Again, for our listeners who are out there feeling a sense of conviction because you can relate to these two people I'm talking about, look, here, here's what you need to do. I mean, even, was it Paul who said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Mm-hmm. I mean, I th- honestly, I think it's important to look in the mirror and, and, and say, do, do, am I in the faith? Because there's eternity is at stake here. This is, I think this is why it's such an important topic. Eternity is at stake here. Read the book of First John. I mean, he First John is such a challenging book. He says, and we can be sure that we know Jesus if we obey his commandments. I mean, that's what he says. First John 2, 3. And if someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandment, that person's a liar and isn't living in the truth. Now, again, someone might say, oh, that's so hateful. That's, that's so mean. And hate, it's not hateful if it's true. It's, it's actually the most loving thing that a Christian can do for you is to tell you the truth and to call out your sin if you're living in sin and claiming to be a Christian. This is what Paul says in Galatians 6 too. He says, hey, we who are godly should help people get back on the right path. This is Christian love. This isn't hatefulness. And, and I think people who are following their heart and living in disobedience to God's clear commandments, I hope that you have people in your life that are lovingly trying to point out your error and get you back on the right path. I hope you're not just surrounded by people who, who are going to encourage you to continue to follow your heart, even if that goes against what God's Word says. Right, because that's the ultimate bottom line issue, is what, what's happening in my relationship with God is driven by this old self, this old nature versus what the new thing that, that Jesus wants to do in me. Uh, this is great because we have a promise, like, like you said earlier, we have this promise that, that God will, will take out that stony, stubborn heart, give a tender, responsive heart. That's based on a real profession of faith or a real, let's, let's say more than a profession of faith, it's based on a real um, transformation by God in my life of who I am. What we didn't talk yet about is how we have new desires. We have a new heart. New heart means new way of thinking, new way of willing, new emotional desires and, and new dreams and new inclinations that are birthed by the Holy Spirit and not birthed by the culture, not birthed by our own selfish desires. And so this is hopeful, this is encouraging, and this should be taking shape in people who are followers of Jesus. So Ross, what would you what would you say to the person who's listening to this saying, "I don't know if that's happened to me. I don't know if I have these I these new desires." You know, the person who was a who was an alcoholic on Friday night and comes to Jesus and Saturday morning wakes up and wants to have a drink. So did it, you know, again, that person might say, did it really take? Because Ross, you're saying I should have new desires, but it seems to me like I still have some of my old desires. Is there something wrong with my conversion experience? I guess that might be a question people would ask. 
Yeah, that's a great question and a good example because we still have we have this lifelong these lifelong patterns of interacting with the world around us that we've trained ourselves. We've been trained in the old way. And so those are habits and patterns that don't go away quickly. We may have chemical. I mean, there may be chemical things that are saying, okay, well, you know, I, I want to drink. Well, I have, I mean, I have new power to say no to that. And I have a new inclination to say, I have a new ability to evaluate that from God's perspective and say, well, you know, that didn't really do me any good. And, and I have this new honesty that comes out of that, even though my, I might still have the craving. And so there's a lot of factors that take into, into account. But here's the thing is that it takes t- some time. There is an initial new... So let me give you an example of this for me. When I was a young adult, I had an um, ungodly dating relationship <laughs> with this young woman, and our, our, our relationship was not following biblical standards. I wasn't a Christian. No, she was. And so that was a, a challenge. But the day I went to, I came to faith in Christ one night, a friend of mine took me to church and they listened to the pastor talking about the fruit that happens in your life when you surrender to Christ. When he comes in and changes your life, he starts to make fruit in your life. And there was something instantaneous that happened there. So the next time I had a conversation with my girlfriend, it was uh, it was this Sunday to Saturday. It was Saturday night. So six days later, I told her, I just was deeply convicted. I said, I, we, I think we need to change our behavior in our relationship. And she said, okay, see ya. Wow. Uh, she, she broke it off. And so for me, I didn't really understand a lot of things. I was a brand new Christian. Mm-hmm. I had no idea you know, what was going on, but the Holy Spirit put on me this conviction that there was something wrong about the choices that I had been making and the life I've been leading, you know, that was within just a few days after I came to faith in Christ. Yeah, that's such a good example of these two different responses to the Holy Spirit's leading, right? Ezekiel 36, 26, I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart. So it sounds like she still had a stony, stubborn heart. Now, again, we're not going to judge her her faith, whether it was genuine or not, but that's something that she should have wrestled with. Hopefully she has at this point in her life. But for you, you had a tender, responsive heart. And you know, in in decades of ministry, Ross, that we've had, we've seen so much of this, really both sides of these. We've seen so many people who have genuine, tender, responsive hearts. Man, it's so encouraging to see that genuine faith response. But I've also seen so many people who have a stubborn, rebellious heart toward God. And I think it's important for people to understand that when when you become a follower of Jesus, he doesn't annihilate your old self. He doesn't annihilate your your old instincts, I guess is a way to say it. The, The Bible talks about it in terms of your flesh, your your sinful desires, your sinful nature. Some people think that when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you, and and therefore your sinful nature is just no longer operative. It can't have any impact. Well, the reason we know that that's not true is because of passages like Galatians 5, where Paul talks about living by the Spirit. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, right? If you have a tender, responsive heart, you will then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So clearly in this passage, Ross, 
Paul is saying that there are these two forces, he even says it, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us the desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the spirit, you're not under the obligation to the law of Moses. So help us to understand at a practical level what Paul is talking about here in this chapter, because he's saying that there's, when you become a Christian, is, am I getting this right, Ross, that when you become a Christian, you still can decide to follow your sinful nature, even as a Christian? Yeah, and that's an important thing. We don't want any of our listeners to be uh, sabotaged uh, by going like, oh no, what just happened? Where did that come from, you know? Because the sinful nature is not eradicated in this life. It's eradicated when we go when we get to heaven and we're in the presence of Jesus. And one way to look at it is we have all these lifetime accumulation of habitual responses and patterns of thinking and and desires and so forth that that remain with us, but they lose power. Okay, so so what we're saying here is that the Christian life is really a life that's lived by moment by moment evaluation. That's called keeping in step with the Spirit, where I'm saying moment by moment, I'm letting the Holy Spirit guide me, I'm letting the Word of God guide me, and I'm going like, wait, what's going on here right now? What's going on right now within me? What's going on right now in this situation that I'm in, among all these people that I'm, in, that I'm with right now? And so it's a, matter, it's a matter of becoming reflective and then making choices. Instead of going on autopilot like we would before, which the heart, you know, is kind of the autopilot there. Instead of going on autopilot, we're, we're actually becoming intentional about the way we live, and intentional based on what God says in His Word and how the Holy Spirit leads us moment by moment throughout the day. You know, in this passage of Scripture, Paul goes on, I encourage our listeners to go read this, Galatians 5, but Paul goes on to list out the, the works of the flesh and then he contrasts that with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, etc. But he, here's what he says at the end of the section of Scripture. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Some of, some of you listeners need to really consider the language he's using. It's very stark language. He is, he's saying... If you belong to Christ, you have nailed the passions and desires of your sin. You're not following those desires. You're not feeding those desires. You're not legitimizing those desires. You nailed those desires to the cross. You got serious with those old desires, the old nature, the sinful nature. You got serious with that, and you put those things to death. That is so different than the message that the world is telling us, which is just saying, follow your heart. No, no, Paul is saying, no, you should nail those old desires of that old person. You should nail them to the cross. And I love that. And he says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. You know, another translation says, let's walk by the Spirit. And that's, that's the trick, right? That's the hard thing is, what does it mean you know, I'm living in this, I'm living with this cosmic battle going on inside of me. It's not just a battle outside of me. It's a battle inside of me. So be encouraged, listeners, that you're not alone if you're fighting this battle. But Paul says the way to win the battle is to follow the Spirit's leading. The way to win the b- battle is to walk by the Spirit. So Ross, 
you know, th- this is a question some people have is what, what, what is my part in that? And what is the Spirit's part in that? Yeah, this, so I love that analogy. He uses the word picture of walking by the Spirit because it just implies it's step by step by step by step. And, um, and so, you know, it's not like, boom, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a prayer or do some, perhaps go to some meeting or something like that, and I'm suddenly catapulted to miles ahead, you know, where I, where I don't have to fight anymore and I'm tired of it, you know. So it's just step by step by step by step. Well, my part is the Holy Spirit isn't going to coerce me and make me. It's not, it's not, it's not like I, I go on autopilot and now the Holy Spirit is now the driving force behind everything I choose. So I don't become an automaton. But uh, my choices are still valid and they still matter. So my part is to choose. I choose to do what I'm going to do and, and whether to follow Jesus and to follow the Holy Spirit's leading and the Word of God or whether to follow my own inclinations, my heart. It's the Holy Spirit's job then, says He will empower that. The Holy Spirit gives me wisdom and direction, like the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. And so I might be contemplating a choice as a Christian and the Holy Spirit goes, you know, zap. I mean, like I feel this like thing in my heart that says like, oh, no, don't do that. You know, that's, oh, don't, that's dangerous. And so I get this warning or I get this conviction like, oh, that's bad, that's wrong. And then I have to choose to whether to ignore that or not, you know, whether to comply to that with that or not. I'm reading the Word of God. I'm reading, I'm reading Scripture, the Bible, and, and God speaks to me through His words, and I see something in there that says, oh, and, and clicks in my head, in my heart, say, oh, you said something yesterday that was hurtful to somebody. And because I'm reading a part of the Bible that says, you know, don't slander anybody or whatever. And then I have to choose. So there's the conviction from the Scripture, from the Spirit. I have to choose. What am I going to do about that? Will I go to that person and, and make it right? And, and then will I not do that again and say that thing again in the future? So, so my part is to choose in dependence on the Holy Spirit. I can't, I can't make that choice. I can't do those choices on my own strength or my own ability or my own wisdom. But I go forward walking step at a time in dependence on the Holy Spirit and His power, His direction, you know, what He's saying to me. And He's the one who makes it possible for me to actualize the things that, that He puts on my heart. Okay, so then one last question, and you mentioned this already, but let's spend some time on this. So, so here we have one, one Christian over here who's following the leading of the Holy Spirit. We have another Christian over there who's following the leading of the Holy Spirit. How, how can those Christians know which of their feelings or desires or dreams or whatever, how can they know what to do? How can they know if their feeling is from God or not? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a practical question because, you know, we're going to have, I, I think, you know, we said earlier that the Holy Spirit is going to create new desires in us, a new a new heart and so forth, new th- ways of thinking. But that's not going to be complete and perfect in this world because we still have this inner inner battle, inner conflict. So I'm praying about it, and I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me, go do this. And then my, my partner, my wife, let's say, is praying about it, and she's saying the Holy Spirit says, no, go do that. And so how are we going to resolve that? Well, we have. I, I think it's important to understand that as Christians, we have an, a better source of truth. We really have not just the Holy Spirit leading us, but the Holy Spirit has spoken God's words into the Bible. So we have a printed source that sets a standard that we can always go to 
We can always compare any idea, any feeling, any impulse that we have, we compare it against what God has already said, what the Holy Spirit has already said in Scripture. And the Holy Spirit to my heart is not going to contradict what the Holy Spirit said on the pages uh, of the Bible. And so we have to test that, test whatever I feel like God is saying internally to me, or what my inclination is internally. I have to test it by the words of Scripture, the unchanging Word of God. Yeah, I you know I think about Proverbs 4. It, in verse 20, it says, My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. And then verse 23, here's, here's really what God's word says to the cultural claim that says, follow your heart. Here's what God's word says. It says, guard your heart. Verse 23, Proverbs 4, 23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So scripture doesn't teach you to follow your heart. Scripture teach, teaches us to guard our hearts and, and submit to God's word, like, like this father is saying, pay attention to my words. I mean, that's really why God gave us his word, the Bible, is so that we can follow those words and, and allow them to bring life to us. And, you know, I think there's just hubris for people who say, I know better than God. Mm-hmm. I know better than God, and so I'm going to follow my heart. I know better than God when it comes to my marriage. I know better than God when it comes to my sexuality. I know better than God when it comes to my emotions or my finances or whatever. Any, any area of life where we elevate our opinion, which is our definition of sin, is it's when you elevate your opinion, your feelings above God's truth. When you say, I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do instead of what God has said that I should do. I mean, it's the first, it's the first sin in the mm-hmm. Bible. And, and every human has followed suit. Adam and Eve decided that they were going to go against what God said. They decided that they knew better, and they didn't. And the result was sin and death entering into the world. And the same thing happens for each one of us when we decide that we're going to, to veto God's word, and, and we're going we're gonna to decide we get the last word on, a, on any matter. Yeah, and I think what's really fundamental un- underlying this attitude, Brian, is for us to recognize our, and our leaders to acknowledge that God is really good, that God has our best interests in mind, that God is not saying like, oh, I'm going to keep you from doing anything you want to do, and I'm going to make your life miserable and horrible, and really because we're following our heart because we think that that's going to give our life meaning and fulfillment, and we're going we're gonna to experience happiness, like we said at the beginning. But really, how many times has that led to somebody experiencing destruction and devastation? Because when they got to the end of the road, that affair ended and their family was broken or whatever, or that drug took away their will and so forth. So whatever it is, but God wants the best for us. And God is saying, look, I want you to thrive. I want you to be to be successful. I want you I have your character in mind. I want you to grow as a person. I want you to experience the best that I have for you in this world. And so that's where I'm going to say, "Oh, if I trust that God is good and he has my best interests at heart, then I'm going to be willing to submit to whatever God says is true instead of what my what my heart says is true." So I love what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 12. This speaks to the attitude. 
It says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. That's the power that God's word has. But here's the thing. I have to decide I want God to expose my innermost thoughts and desires. Mm-hmm. I want to be a better person. I want to be more like Jesus. I want him to show me where I'm deceived. And if I'm going like, wait, I don't want my innermost thoughts and desires to be exposed by God, then you know, I'm, going to, I'm not going to choose to follow what he has to say. So it's an attitude of humility. It's an attitude of surrender to God and trusting that God really is good. Yeah, that's that tender, responsive heart that is spoken about in Ezekiel. That's so so important. So, Ross, I guess maybe the question for our listeners who are feeling a sense of conviction right now, maybe some of the stories we've shared, maybe some of the scripture we've shared, or maybe just the Holy Spirit is is doing something in the heart of the listener right now recognizing that they've gone off course, recognizing that they've elevated their opinions, their feelings above God's truth, recognizing that their response to God is is stubborn and stony-hearted rather than tender and responsive-hearted. What what does that person do, Ross? What would you recommend that they do? Because it's so easy for us to listen to something, and for about 20 minutes, we feel a sense of conviction. But then, boy, I tell you what, after after a nice lunch or a cup of coffee, we, we get to our senses again. We get back to our senses again, and we don't follow through on those good intentions. Yeah, that's so true, because we are fickle humans. But, you know, that, that recognition that there's a challenge, there's something wrong that, about my approach, that's a great start. That's the start of repentance. The repentance says, like, I'm going about this the wrong way my own way instead of God's way. That's a good start to repentance. But here's the thing is that most of us are very influenced by the people in our lives. And so to take advantage of that, we need to go to people who have the same values, they want to share our heart and value. We need to go to, to some faithful Christian friends, maybe in our small group or maybe in our church, or maybe even maybe even if it's serious enough to go to you know, pastoral staff or someone else to say, here's where I'm at, here's what God is doing in my life, here's what I want to see God do in my life, and I'm going to ask you to hold, it, hold me accountable. I'm going to ask you in my small group, you care about me and I'm glad to be here, I'm going to ask you guys to hold me accountable. Or find a friend who can act as a mentor, a Christian friend who, who, uh, who will undergird and support the things that you're, that you're trying to do in your life. So you can't, can't go it alone. Got to have some help to, to make this happen. All right. The title of the topic is Don't Just Follow Your Heart. You can find it online at PursueGod.org. And again, have this conversation with your small group, with your family, or with a mentor one-on-one. There's discussion questions there. There's additional topics that we've referenced here. Uh, There's all the scripture we've been talking about. You'll find it all there. Check it out at PursueGod.org. And then join us next Tuesday as we continue to cover these kinds of topics to help you to really become a pursuer of God. Hey listeners, Pastor Brian here. If you're enjoying our podcast, would you consider becoming a donor? Our goal is that these podcasts would reach the largest audience possible. So obviously it takes money to create good podcasts, but more than that, we want to make sure to market this to the whole nation and even to the world. That's where your donation comes in. So would you consider becoming a monthly donor? And to do it, just visit PursueGod.org forward slash donate.